Well, I'm going to go ahead and get us started. I know some other people will filter in. Um, this is a busy time of the evening um, with dinner. Kristen's making her family cook their own dinner tonight, but we appreciate you taking uh, time away from your family this evening to join us. I'm, uh, as I said this morning, it was a, it's a bittersweet day for me and even more so this evening because um, this evening we wrap up our three-part series of Challenge, Cherish, and Known. And um, I know many of you, I see you that were on um, a couple weeks ago when we did the Cherished uh, component. And I was telling you then that I'd always wanted to be Oprah and so I was Oprah. But um, what I didn't get to say was that you were cherished and you were cherished and you were cherished. I know it's not a car, but you're cherished. So there, <laughs> I was able to, <laughs> to, to say that. And so I was telling um, everybody on the panel today, I said, I wonder who I'm gonna channel this evening. And so I've decided that I'm going to be the icon Barbara Walters. So um, I did say a caveat that I will not make anybody cry. Um, I'll probably make myself cry because y'all know how I am, but we're going to have a good time tonight as we wrap up this series um, of our parent education challenge, cherish, and known. I'm super excited about our panel tonight. Um, we're going to have the known component, and we have a really great variety of guests this evening. Um, we're going to start out with, we have Lisa Condry. She is our school counselor and also a humanities teacher. We have Mary Richmeyer, who is our learning specialist. We have Stacy Smith, our school nurse and healthcare coordinator. Troy Griffith, he is a math teacher, a dorm parent, the head JV basketball coach, shout out to JV basketball, and Sarah Murphy, uh, who is a dorm parent and the director of college counseling. And tonight, like any other night when we've held these events, it's just a casual conversation. And um, I hope you have a beverage of your choice and you can sit back and relax for a little bit and listen to what we have to say. I did not introduce myself, for those of you who don't know me. I am Tracy Carter. I am the Dean of Community and Wellness. And let's get started. Mary, I'm going to start with you. Um, I know that you've been in education all over the world from private schools to public schools in the US, um, what are some things that you've noticed that are unique to TMI? Uh, I think, uh, well, TMI is, is different in being a uh, smaller school where public schools are large entities and you know making yourself visible in the crowd can be a bit of an effort. Um, teaching in international schools, um, there's just constant change. Students, families are moving all over the world. Teachers are constantly moving to new schools. Uh, so TMI, I found um, unique and really have enjoyed my time here with its uh, history and its consistency. Um, another thing I really appreciate about um, TMI, I think it does really well getting to know each individual um, however, I also think it really does exceptionally well at knowing the entire group. Um, before the pandemic, we would get together every single day on campus for chapel and have that time together as a group. Um, now, you know, considering health and safety, we also have, you know, attempts to gather in groups um, wherever possible. And I think I really appreciate that of our ability to know um, all the students, but also to know TMI as a whole entire group. Yeah, I, I kind of hadn't thought about that with specifically like your international schools. Those were probably a lot of like embassy families and maybe oil and gas, something or other like that. Yes, yeah, a lot of um, oil and gas. And so they're, you know, families who are constantly moving around. It's usually a two or three year rotation. So schools are sort of set up with that understanding of it will be a revolving door of students or teachers, families, however that works. And I really appreciate with, you know, TMI having been in San Antonio for such a long time, having that sort of consistent structure, but you also have teachers who've been here for a long time. You've had families be at the school and have a number of their kids come through and that's really lovely to be a part of. Yeah, that's cool. I think I take it for granted that um, being born and raised in San Antonio of people who um, who do travel all over the world for their job and, and sometimes have to jump from school to school. Whereas, you know, at TMI, not that we don't have families leave, but 
we're lucky to have a middle and high school because we have people usually for for the seven years um, or the four or even the two, whatever it may be, but we're lucky in that respect. So that's good. Speaking of uh, teachers who have been here a long time, shout out segue to Lisa. Um, Lisa, you've been at TMI for 16 years and you've seen the school grow and change a lot. Tell us a little bit about how your role has changed over the years. Well, when I was initially hired um, in 2005, I was hired as the director of college placement and school counseling. We had a graduating class of about 50. And so, and a student body of like about 300, 350, very different place in, a, in several different ways. Um, and as a smaller school, it was fairly uh, comfortable to be able to handle uh, both the college counseling and then the emotional needs of students as they arose. But we've been growing, as you know, ever since. Uh, and with the growing number of students and with our changing city and our changing world, uh, we're finding that there are more needs uh, to provide much more uh, individual attention uh, to students and also to look programmatically at how we are going to address student needs school-wide. So over the years, I went from being the counselor. We added Jeremy Johnson several years ago who could handle the college counseling side and direct that program, which freed me up to do more personal counseling. And then we got Sarah. And last year, uh, we also added Alana Nichols, which has allowed me to move out of college counseling entirely and be much more available to students and their needs, consult more with teachers and parents and so on. And also to teach psychology, which is one of my joys as well. That is a popular class here that the kids always love to take. Troy, I'm going to come to you. Um, it seems like you started yesterday, but I know when you started, it was actually six years ago. As a long-term sub, you were actually my son's math teacher. Um, so you teach, you're a coach, um, you're an advisor, you're a dorm parent. Tell us about what it's like wearing all those different hats um, when it comes to our students. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm in a unique position here where I get to see kids in a lot of different light, or in a lot of different uh areas, I guess. Um, and being a math teacher, uh, especially, sometimes I don't really get to see kids come out of their shell in the classroom, uh, mainly because only a small portion of students actually enjoy math on a day-to-day -day basis. And so it's kind of cool for me because I get some kids that are super interested in math, but um, if they're not, then maybe I get to coach them um, and I get to see them do something that they're really passionate about um, on the basketball court and I get to push them in different ways and interact with them in different ways. And then um, especially being a res life parent, that's where I get to see kids in uh, probably their most relaxed state. Um, so whether it's, you know, playing Uno, game of Uno, which does get pretty heated, so I don't know if I should say relaxed, but doing that on a Friday night or watching a movie and hanging out and just talking about, you can get more of the relationship and the social aspect of um, mentoring them and talking with them there. Um, it's just really fun to get to, to see kids in so many different um, aspects of their life here at TMI. So I think that... Um when you and Taylor decide to have kids, you're gonna be a pro at it, right? Because you've been a dorm parent. So you'll have it down, no, no problem uh, at all. Definitely, I've heard being a parent is super easy. So um, <laughs> I'm ready to go. Just all go. of the parents on this call are rolling their eyes at you <laughs> and biting their tongue. I'm just kidding. Stacy. let me come over to you. This year has proved um, to be a little bit different to say the least. Um, tell us a little bit about the opportunities that you've come across um, even through this pandemic. Sure. Um, definitely different from previous years. That, that's definitely an understatement. Um, you know, no matter how old you get, you, you never stop learning. And uh, this pandemic has, has helped prove that true. Um, at times, I felt like I was back at nursing school while trying to learn everything that I possibly could about this new virus while developing new policies and procedures and helping our school adapt to these changes. Um, I always try and find silver linings in, in situations and um, believe it or not, I, I found a handful um, of, of silver linings and um, I've, I've witnessed our, our TMI community come together and work together as we navigate through these uncharted waters. Our students have always been our top priority. Um, but I must say that this school year, every decision that has been made 
we have had our students and their families in mind at all times. Um, it, it's just, it's, a, it was, it's been amazing to see our administration work together, having to quickly pivot and then take a step back and, and make these difficult decisions that we know that will best benefit our families. That's great. Um, what are some examples that you might give us about, you know, kind of the TMI community coming together and, and working together? Sure. So I think one of my favorite, and I, I guess I'll use the term favorite loosely, um, because, you know, COVID. Um, I, I saw the community come together. I think my, the best time was uh, when we were organizing graduation back in May. Um, it was the beginning of COVID, and there was not a whole lot of guidance from the CDC or Metro yet. Um, we, we all worked really hard to plan this graduation on the football field for our seniors. Um, everyone was involved in this planning process. And um, we had facilities literally walking and measuring the entire field to develop these six by six sections. And we had security organizing entering and exiting, um, you know, we were constantly consulting our physicians, our seniors and their families. They were so excited uh, that they'd be able to walk the stage. And, you know, we had it planned to the T. We had every detail down. Um, then the COVID numbers started rising and they kept increasing. And it was such an emotional and, and heartbreaking decision uh, to cancel, but we knew that we couldn't gather all of these people and, and keep them safe. Um, so we knew we had to do something special for our seniors because they deserve this recognition and, you know, they had so much taken away from the, in this last semester. And, um, it was at one of, one of our many round table discussions, or maybe I should say our round table zooms, um, that we decided to hold individual graduations for all of our seniors. And we quickly pivoted and organized, and I can't remember the timeline, but I think there was just literally a couple days that we had uh, to, to change this all around. And we explained to our senior parents who were more than happy to do whatever needed to be done for their senior. Uh, you know, faculty and staff, senior parents, uh, we all literally stood out in the rain, and I heard zero complaints because we were, we were able to honor our seniors and, and looking back on it, it was just simply amazing to watch everyone come together and, and make this happen. It really was. I remember you talking about the rain and, you know, it would hold off. It held off for quite some time. And then, I mean, it was a deluge and we're, you know, walking around with our umbrellas. Needless to say, my hair did not look so great that day, but we had such a good time. And, and I told some of you that are even on this call that it was just such a, it was almost one of the best graduations I've ever been to because it was so personal and it was individual and, and there was so much time that we were able to spend on that particular student and their family. So I agree, that was, that was a really fun thing. Before I go to Sarah for the next question, I forgot to mention that parents, if you have any questions um, while we're speaking or anything you wanna ask at the end of our discussion, feel free to put it in the chat at the bottom. You can just hover your mouse over and you'll see where it says chat at the bottom of your window for Zoom. And those will go directly to me and then I'll be happy to ask the panel when we finish. Sarah, let me come to you. Um, I remember when you came to TMI and how excited I was for you to build our college counseling program. As Lisa talked about, it was growing and, and what you were going to be, bring to that department was going to be incredible. You had, and you still do, have an abundance of energy for everything that we do on this campus. Um, side note, I, I used to call Sarah the Energizer Bunny because she always has sensible shoes on and she's walking all over this campus, walking all over coats. It's just amazing. And, and something you might not know is that she's probably been up since about four in the morning um, because she goes on early morning runs. So, or at least she used to. So I'm like, Sarah, I need something, a little bit of what you have as in the energy department, that's for sure. Um, but can you share with us a little bit about what made you decide to leave the admissions process at the college level and come to an independent school and do college counseling? Uh, so what most people don't realize is that colleges and universities, they're a business. And so I was really working, aside from traveling and interviewing and reading applications, uh, I was really working in a business. And so the one thing about interviewing students and reading their applications is that you only meet them that one time, honestly. Um, and we, the only time we ever see them is if they decide to come back to admissions to work as a tour guide um, or a student worker. 
But I had the wonderful opportunity to interview at um, TMI when my good friend Jeremy Johnson, we had both worked together at Trinity University in admissions there. Um, and he mentioned, hey, I'm leaving, I'm moving to Houston, I encourage you to apply for my job. Um, and I was at a place where I was, you know, I was happy, but uh, I thought well, I might as well give it a shot. And of course, on the day of my interview, it was such a great experience meeting so many students and just the warmth of the community and also the opportunity to just see students grow, to, to get to know them from either middle school or ninth grade all the way through. And, and I really appreciated this opportunity. Yeah, you know, that's something that's interesting. I hadn't thought about that you and Jeremy were both at Trinity and uh, sorry, Trinity, we got, uh, we took some of your people away. But anyway, we're so glad that you're here. Lisa, let me come over to you. Um, I know that you have been responsible for advisory on and off for very many years. Um, how is what you're doing in advisory now different from back then? Well, advisory is another thing that has evolved over the time that I've been here. When I first started, advisory was kind of like, um, oh, yeah, we haven't had advisory in a while. Why don't we? And so uh, several years ago, Troy Eason, Bob Bell, and I uh, were tasked with reviving and doing something with advisory. So we took the approach of allowing uh, teachers to kind of figure out how they want to have a relationship with the small group of students that they had and provide them with tools to be able to do certain kinds of lessons. We gave them a general outline and suggested when they should be doing different things throughout the year, but it was very much left in the hands of uh, the advisors at which, you know, and yes, they did a great job, don't get me wrong, but still it was very loose and kind of like, what are we doing with advisory um, and dropping in administrative things from time to time. So there wasn't really a coherent sense among faculty or among the students and parents as well about, well, what is this advisory thing? So in an attempt to, again, try to get advisory to be a way that we can create more community and more of a sense of belonging for students and with uh, advisors and students. Uh, Father Scott had asked Father Nate and me to see what we could do to codify advisory even more. We are now in the process of developing a three-year cycle so that a student starting in sixth grade will go through all three of those years. And then when they get into ninth grade, uh, they will be going through those three years again. But on a different level uh, for more complex thinking and more complex lives that students have in high school. Then the senior year, we're working on developing an individual program for seniors so that we are able to find them where they are with straddling the world of high school and getting ready to put that foot into the adult world. So advisory is something that we see as being central to making uh, TMI a community uh, that it starts with small groups and moving out to the large community of TMI and having that sense of belonging throughout. Thank you. Let's keep with the advisory theme here. And Troy, I'm going to come to you. What benefits do you see from having an advisory that might be unexpected? Yeah, definitely. So Lisa sort of just alluded to kind of the structure of advisory and kind of the structured lessons that we have. But some of the benefits that I've seen have come from the times where we're not even necessarily in the in the framework of a discussion, but you know, maybe we have five or 10 minutes at the beginning of advisory or, or at the end where, um, you know, we've, we've finished talking or we haven't quite started yet. And I'm just kind of sitting around listening to the kids talk. And, and in some ways I like advisory because it's the time where there's no sort of academic pressure. It's not for a grade or anything like that. So that's kind of when I get to hear them talk about you know, what you do this weekend. What are you watching on TV right now? That basketball game last night. Um, and so I, I really like to interject myself into those conversations and, uh, you know, get to know them that way. And so sometimes I'll just be talking about like a Netflix show or something and I'll be like, oh, what? Like I watched that Netflix. I've watched that show, too. And, you know, the kids are always like, wait, you've watched that? And I'm like, yeah, my wife made me watch it. And then I fell in love with it. And we watched all 10 seasons in a month. And then we planned a trip around going to the place where they filmed the show and seeing all the places. And but just getting to kind of talk to them about that kind of thing and, and find out what they're interested in is really cool. That's, that's one benefit. Um, and then another benefit that I see is 
Um, sometimes you'll have kids in your advisory that you don't actually teach. Um, so maybe uh, you'll have them for a couple of years. Um, you don't have them in class, but then you get to have them in class maybe when they're a junior or a senior. Um, and I found that in those sort of scenarios, it's so much easier to jump in and start teaching them right away and get them because you already have a relationship with them. Um, you kind of already know you've been following them academically. So you already know what their strong suits are, what they're, what they're good at, what they struggle with some. Um, and so getting to build that relationship ahead of teaching them um, is super beneficial, not only for me, but also for the student as well. Okay, see, I knew that would happen. My dog would start barking. And so, <laughs> hey, this is live television, people. <laughs> anyway, moving on, Mary, I understand that a learning specialist works with students traditionally with um, some diagnosed learning needs. But what about when a student just has some general academic challenges and stuff like that? How can you help? Oh, it's true. Um, some or a lot of my work is with students who've been diagnosed with, you know, say dyslexia or attention issues, things like that. Um, but I think what's really nice working in a school like um, TMI, there's a number of different avenues and structures to help students if they're hitting some sort of academic challenge. Um, like Lisa and Troy just talked about, there's advisory uh, we have dedicated teachers, they have office hours, there's, you know, a lot of work that can happen there. Um, but sometimes it can help to um, seek an outside perspective. So a teacher, a student, parents are welcome to reach out to me, um, and we can sit through, brainstorm, think about strategies, and um, try to come up with a way forward. Thank you. Sarah, I'm going to pop over to you now. Um, the college admissions process seems to have evolved into more of a complex process than certainly when I applied uh, to college. How does your department get to know the students through that process since you don't have them like necessarily in a classroom? Uh, great question. So usually um, it starts in ninth grade where we have a grade level meeting. We're already planning for that. Um, in January, we'll go over PSAT scores. Um, when we meet the grade as, as a whole, uh, we do it again in 10th grade, but by January year, that's when we really meet with them um, individually. We start off with meeting with their parents as well, joining the meeting. And then from there, um, I recently revamped how we do the meetings to make it more structured. And they have a minimum of six mandatory meetings to meet with us. Um, was beginning their junior year. So we already started meeting with the juniors um, last month. Um, and then that will continue on and we have an agenda that's set. And during that time, we really get to know the students. Um, and then outside of that, we're out in the community. I go to the games, I go to the plays, I go to the concerts. Um, and I'll even volunteer to sub if I'm free an hour and I don't have a meeting. Um, but we make an effort to, to just be out and open in the community. You're muted, Tracy. And we talked about that this morning, that that's a, uh, a bingo game or something like that when someone unzooms their, or doesn't uh, unmute themselves. Well, I'm glad I was able to be the first to do that. So um, anyway, what I was saying is that I understand that the counselor letter of recommendation is a required piece that goes along with the transcript. Um, rumor has it that counselor letters um, from TMI receive a lot of high praise um, from colleges. So what is it that you, how in the world do you get to really know? I mean, you talked a little bit about subbing and going to the games and stuff, but in order to write that comprehensive letter, how do you go about doing that? So often, especially by the junior year, they're coming into our offices, um, but we also require a session. We used to call it the interview session, but it started to stress students out. So we call it now a CAM session, which is chat about me. Um, and this is an opportunity for them to really talk about themselves. And I, I give them the questions ahead of time so that they can prepare for it and share it with their parents. Um, I also invite parents to submit a parent letter uh, to us because obviously we don't see everything in the classrooms. We don't see everything around the campus and I don't have them in the classroom. So I really don't see a lot. 
And then during the interview with the students, I asked them, name a couple of peers I could talk to who are your friends, your teammates, who are somebody you mentored in the core. And I reached out to them. And then of course I talked to their, their teachers. Um, so a combination of all of this, um, it's kind of like doing a research paper. Um, and average, it takes us about three and a half hours to complete one letter of recommendation. So. Wow, that's a lot. Um, so I'm going to send you an invite so that I can have my own CAM session. Is that okay? <laughs> that about me. <laughs> I'll try not to get too stressed out about it, though. Um, Stacy, let me come over to you. A common misconception about nurses is that all you do is hand out ice packs or band-aids. Talk to us a little bit about what your day looks like. Sure. Um, so I will say that ice packs and band-aids do fix many ailments, especially with our younger ones. Um, however, I do see several things that those items don't necessarily fix. Um, I see anything from broken bones to students that just need a 10-minute break from their normal routine. Um, I view myself as a student advocate, and I assist students in speaking up when it comes to their own medical needs. Uh, for example, um, let's say a, a student with a chronic condition, such as a life-threatening food allergy, or even someone that's uh, recovering from a concussion. I'll work with the student and their teachers uh, so that everyone is comfortable within that unique situation. And sometimes education is needed, um, especially with a new diagnosis. And um, I'm more than happy to assist with that education. I know I feel, um, I always feel confident and safe when you've taught us you know, like when we do our CPR training and stuff like that, and or, or someone that has an allergy and using an EpiPen. So um, we, we never quit learning and we're lucky to have you and, and teaching us to do that. Now, you mentioned something about sometimes kids just needing to take a break, um, you know, a 10 minute break. Talk to me a little bit more about, about what you mean by that. Yeah, I'm actually glad you, you brought that up. Um, so the Student-Led Community and Wellness Advisory Council, they started working on our stress less room, um, and that's located in the health center. They started that back in February. Unfortunately, COVID interrupted that, um, but however, we, we still are utilizing that room for those students that need, you know, like a 10 or 15 minute break. Um, the room is, is designed to be a calm and quiet environment for everyone that just needs a break. Um, I've had students who get a grade they aren't happy with come down and just need a few minutes to gather themselves. I've had students come down that are overwhelmed, um, not necessarily to the point where they need to see Mrs. Condry, but they recognize that they just need a few quiet moments to themselves, um, which honestly, I think all of us really need a, a few minutes of peace every once in a while. So yeah. I'll speak from experience. I, I uh, may or may not have snuck down to the health center uh, to have a little quiet time of my own. Um, it is a very peaceful, uh, peaceful place and um, it's, it's nice that we have that space. Lisa, I'm gonna come over to you. Um, I've, I've heard this question asked before, but um, are you the school psychotherapist? No, um, I'm a licensed master social worker and the, the field of social work is definitely rooted in psychology, but it is a um, it is a problem solving profession. So I kind of see myself in, on the one hand as being uh, the, the the sympathetic ear who can help solve problems. So when students come to talk, uh, I have it in my mind that, you know, whatever it is that they want to talk about and they can unload and they can cry and whatever that that. Um, the point of our conversation is to help them get from where they're stuck right now to being able to move out the door with uh, with the tools that they need to get through the rest of their day, to maybe start uh, solving the problem that has caused them to be so upset to begin with. And then also, um, I kind of sometimes serve as, say, a point person for a student to kind of help them get started with the process of advocating for themselves either uh, you know by talking to a teacher that they are too afraid to speak to or maybe finding out some information so that again they don't have to talk to that adult that intimidates them but I can find out the information that they need provide it to them so they can then step out and then move on to making decisions and actions in their own life. So share with us a little bit about what what are some of the limits um, that of, of things you're able to provide? 
Uh, well, I can I can work with a student for a, a limited period of time, you know, say meet with them for a few weeks, kind of help them get on the road to where they're going. I'm always available if a, a previous customer uh, that I've worked with for a while is having problems or, you know, feeling overwhelmed again. It's not like, okay, done with you. Uh, but, you know, they can come back anytime and talk about whatever it is on their mind. Um, I can, and I also try to help students uh, and families when, uh, when necessary to find resources within the community to help them address um, emotional needs that are going to need more long-term intervention. Lisa's always great. I don't know if any of you have been by uh, her office, but she has this little whiteboard and she always is like back in 10 and she puts the time or I'm over in the uh, in the chapel portico or whatever she's so kids always know uh, where to find her or I'm teaching, you know, most kids know when she's doing that. But anyway, so she always makes herself available. Mary, I'm going to ask you this question. What do you think specialists like Stacy and yourself and and Lisa are able to offer that enriches a TMI students' learning experience? Um, I mean, that's a, a good question. I think uh, Stacy and Lisa just talked a lot about that, but we want um, students to do well here and we want them to learn. So a lot of that is allowing um, teachers to really be focused on students, on learning, on content. And so, you know, just as Stacy said, if there's a new diagnosis coming in, she's able to really concentrate that information and share that with teachers rather than you know them needing to go do that research or if you've got um you know a group project and some sort of reason the group dynamics aren't going well teachers or students can go see lisa for strategies on maybe how that can um, better become a, a functioning group um, you know, similar with me, teachers or students are able to reach out and say, you know, I'm studying, I feel like I'm working hard for this test and I'm just not getting the score that I want. You know, how can, how can that work? So I think um, allowing um, teachers to really focus in primarily on students and learning and then also having other avenues to seek out assistance really benefits everyone. Troy, I'm going to jump over to you. Um, what perspective do you think you get on students from coaching that maybe you wouldn't in uh, the classroom? Yeah, so I sort of mentioned a little bit earlier about how, um, you know, as a teacher teaching math, I don't always get the most uh, insight into kids just because it's hard for them to speak up or they don't enjoy math that much. Um, so for basketball, first and foremost, I can push them a little bit differently than I can in the classroom. I certainly can't make a kid drop and give me 20 push-ups if they're late to class. Um, so uh, sometimes I wish I could, but um, so in basketball though, you can, you know, you can treat them a little bit differently. Um, you can kind of see how they respond to maybe being physically pushed as opposed to being academically pushed. Um, and so it kind of gives you a little bit more insight into kids, different kids' personalities and uh, different kids have to be pushed different ways when you coach them. Um, but then you can carry some of that over into the classroom too with how you talk to them and stuff. Um, so that's always good. And, you know, I always say uh, my number one job at the school is to teach. Um, and so what I found is when I do get a chance to coach kids um, as well as teach them, uh, it makes the teaching aspect um, that much easier. I've got, um, I teach at least half of the varsity basketball team this year in my pre-calculus course. And so um, getting to uh, see them in the classroom and then every day after, after school for practice is really cool because um, I'm just, steadily building those relationships, whether it's um, in in practice or whether we're traveling or um, watching film, all of those things are just other opportunities to, to build those relationships and see kids um, in their element a little bit more. Yeah. Sarah, um, you're a dorm parent, just like Troy is. Um, and besides your day job, that's your afternoon, evening, into the late evening, early next morning job. But I hear that the Res Life program really has a vibrant and robust scene like after school and on the weekends. There's been a lot of changes for that this year. How so, and why do you love being a house parent? Um, so, you know, we have a great new director, Todd Davis. Um, you know, the program was great even before he arrived, but because of COVID, um, he's really had to think outside of the box and really force us to think and to be creative and utilize our resources here and not seek anything outside. 
And so we've done a lot of creative things um, that are outside and safe. Um, and because of that, it's really been very vibrant. Um, anything from s'mores, uh, which I observed another organization on how to um, handle s'mores safely, to karaoke night, movies outdoors. Uh, we celebrated a student's birthday. We played musical chairs. We had a pinata. Um, Troy mentioned um, Uno, which can get very competitive. Um, but outside my door um, during study hall um, every night, the students come together and that's when the dorm really transform, transforms into really um, what would be college life. Um, they, what I love about it is that they push one another to think, they collaborate to help each other study. There's always a lot of philosophical debates um, and there's also um, a lot of good fun, good laughs um, and it's just beautiful to see them grow and um, to witness that is really rewarding. So tell me a little bit, you, you were just talking about like student growth and, and that process. Do you have an example of that? So we are in a boys dorm, which we take on the younger boys. So um, grades um, eighth, ninth, and some 10th. And so usually we have to require a lot more structure than some of the other houses. And one of the rules is collecting electronics every single school night. Um, they they don't like it, and we did have a student who really kind of fought us on it, and one thing led to another, and we realized that he was kind of holding back the device. Uh, but long story short, after kind of going through that process, uh, explaining to him and grounding him, we, we ground our students too, just like other parents. And it took a while, but he finally came to terms. And I remember one night when he, just revealed, wow, this is a really good program here in Ewing. It's, I understand why you collect electronics. I see the benefit and getting sleep. And so just to see that maturity, um, and he's just a ninth grader, I'm so excited to, to watch him grow even further over the next three years. We need to have him uh, talk to some other kids about the value of sleep and realizing that it, it you can survive without your electronic devices. So that's cool. It's just like it's just like any other home. You know, you you or their or your you're their mom. So that's so neat. And um, Stacy, you have a really unique role here on campus. So tell me, how are you able to get to know students while you're in the health center? I, I do have a unique role, um, and I'll tell you, I, I wouldn't treat it for anything. Um, I've worked in the ER, and I've worked in urgent care settings. And, uh, working here is, has been one of the most rewarding um, positions I've held. Um, I love the, the relationships I'm able to build with our students and the level of trust that is developed between myself, the students, and their families. Um, so even if a student comes in just for a Band-Aid, um, I make every attempt to, to get to know them. I ask them questions and um, I'm constantly reassuring our students that the health center is always a safe place to come. Um, I get to see our kids grow from sixth graders to seniors and um, side note, I, this is my year of my, um, my first class of sixth graders uh, will graduate in May. So I'm, I'm so excited to see that full circle. That is a fun thing. I remember when I did my first, you know, I had my all seven year kids and you just, you feel like a proud parent, you know, talking about being a dorm parent or, you know, just every day, just being a proud parent. Cause you've seen these kids, you remember how teeny tiny they were in sixth grade and um, what they're embarking on for their future. So that's really cool. I'm glad this year you're going to be experiencing that. Lisa, um, let me come over to you. You hear a lot about confidentiality between client and counselor. What about informing parents um, about conversations that you've had with their student? Well, confidentiality is definitely uh, something that the students want. You know, they, they would like to know that uh, when they're talking with me that it's not going anywhere else. But I make it clear to them in our very first conversation that there are three conditions under which I must always say something to somebody else as in their parents um, and that is if they are um, a harm, threatening to harm themselves or they are a danger to themselves if they are threatening to harm somebody else and if somebody is harming them those are always the conditions when it's like got to talk to your parents about that uh, but then even over the course of the conversations if one of those big three does not come up if i feel that there is a persistent theme of depression or anxiety 
or some other mental health issue that is that really needs to be addressed, uh, then I'm on the horn and talking to parents about that. Um, and certainly parents um, can contact me and have done so and said, would you talk to my child? And I will tell them, yes, I'll be happy to do that. And, you know, these are the, the things that, um, you know, let, I'll let you know that what goes on in the conversation, uh, but, you know, in a general way, and I will certainly give you an idea about how I think the state of their mental health is. Uh, but so, you know, parents are going to know if there is any hint that I have that there is something really problematic uh, going on with their child, they're going to hear about it. Troy, we talked a little bit about um, getting to know kids like from a coaching standpoint, but tell me, um, how are some ways that you get to know your students? Like, just say you only teach them, they, you don't coach them or they're not your, uh, they don't live in the dorms with you or you're not their advisor. How do you get to know the kids just as a teacher? Yeah, um, I think like a, a big part of that is just making sure that kids understand that there's life outside of like your subject um, that you're teaching them. And so I really like to, you know, if we're coming off a weekend or off a break or something, taking the first five minutes of class or so just to ask them what they did, um, you know, what kind of, uh, what restaurants did you go to, travel at all, um, that kind of thing. What did you watch? Uh, just to kind of get an idea of, you know, what their life is like outside of school. Um, and I was just like thinking like this year, we have one kid in particular in my fifth period where every single day, right up that, that class is right after lunch. We ask him what he ate for lunch that day. Uh, it's just sort of, sort of become a thing. And uh, he tells us what he, what he ate for lunch. And then, you know, we get into discussions about like, Oh, well, you had mayonnaise on your sandwich. Well, who in class likes mayonnaise? And class is split right down the middle. And then we started to have a debate about why mayonnaise is good or bad. And just silly little things like that. Kids really like that for um, community building and, and just making them feel comfortable. Um, so getting to do that uh, and just making sure that you keep your class as lighthearted as possible um, in, in most of the, in most times um, is really helpful towards like opening them up for the actual learning process. I have a student that's on, on a, advisory council with me and she loves food and um, she's a athlete she does a lot of working out and I'm telling you our conversations always begin with either what's for lunch um, she goes back for seconds and sometimes thirds and it, it, it is fun I mean something as simple as like why would you have mayonnaise on your sandwich um, and uh, I'll give a little plug to make sure that you have the kids continue to fill out what they like and, and where they seek improvement on the Sage app. That was something fun that we did um, before the Thanksgiving break. Mary, I'm going to kind of ask you the same question, but what are some ways that you see like teachers know their students, like specifically in their work with you? Um, yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I think uh, what I really like about uh, a school um, like TMI um, is when you have a smaller school and you have teachers who've had students for a number of years, um, they really seem to understand and know their students really quite well. And so if there is a change, if they're noticing something different, right, there's um, an ability to um, go talk to, you know, Lisa if that's a concern, but also maybe like, I just don't understand why they're not doing well on this unit and they have all the way along. And so they can come and see me and we can sort of talk through different ideas. And that is um, always something that uh, I really enjoy, but find also very motivating with working with individuals who really have learning always at the base of their conversations and how do we help students to do their best. And you know that it's hard to do if you don't know students really well. Yeah, that's very true. Stacy, you mentioned earlier that you are um, passionate about learning and, and educating people. Now, I'm assuming you're not talking about trying to knock off Troy in the math department or one of our history teachers, are you? <laughs> you are correct. I, I will leave those traditional subjects to the, the experts we have here on campus. Um, no, the education I refer to is, you know, almost anything medical. Uh, my theory is that education is the best prevention in so many ways. Um, and I absolutely love to educate our students, our faculty, and our parents on things anywhere from why you should get your flu shot uh, to chronic conditions such as diabetes. 
Um, you know, if anyone, if everyone involved with a student who has a chronic condition or even in recovery from an illness or injury is educated and familiar on that specific topic, it makes the process so much smoother for the student and their family. Uh, for example, you know, with a newly diagnosed condition or illness, I will normally put together a presentation for the faculty involved um, and just make sure that each teacher is fully informed and comfortable. Um, and, you know, it's, it's already stressful enough when our students receive a new diagnosis. So um, I just try to, to make that a smoother process for everyone involved. Well, I will say you do from a from a faculty and staff and admin standpoint. You certainly do, and and uh, it's so important, like you said, because this is this is something new that kids are having to learn, right? Just like learning math or or history or English, or whatever. This is something new that they need to learn how to manage their own health. So that's true, Sarah. Um, as I mentioned earlier, you wear a lot of hats around TMI, and I think what some people might not know is that you are the sponsor for the junior senior prom. Thank you so much. <laughs> and you're also um, responsible for the Student Equity Committee. Can you share with us a little bit about what that process or experience has been like? Well, it's really rewarding to work with um, student groups because they are the ones that I encourage to be the problem solvers, the planners. Um, with the junior class officers last year, a problem was scheduled to take place literally two weeks after we immediately went remote. And so meeting through Zoom and seeing how they could problem solve and still create a wonderful event and still make it memorable for seniors as well because they were being sort of robbed of a lot of the milestones and the traditions their senior year. It was great to see how they were encouraging and supportive of one another and positive and encouraging of the senior class. And just to witness and just see the gears moving and, and how they would um, plan something that was virtual. With student equity, um, I'm new to it. Um, it's brand new, um, but hearing their voices, um, seeing what they're concerned about, and seeing the things that they have ideas to improve upon, <coughs> it's just been <coughs> so sorry. It's been very rewarding. Oh my gosh, I have a tickle. I'm good. Okay. <laughs> I'm glad you're okay. Hopefully you can get a sip of water there or something. And Troy, as we wrap up our evening here, I'm going to come to you for the last question. Um, leave us a little bit um, about how you make your students feel known. We've talked about it from just a classroom side. I mean, we've talked about it a little bit, but just wrap it up for us. Yeah, um, I think like one of the biggest things that I really try to do um, on an everyday basis is uh, every single time I see a kid in the hallway, I really like to just say hi and, and say their name and look them in the eye, just so that they know that I see them and that they matter. And I, I've had kids ask me in the past, like, man, you say hi to me, like, literally every time you see me. And I'm like, yeah, you know, I want I want to make sure that you know that, you know, I see you and, and um, I recognize you. Um, and, and I think for a lot of kids, like, that's a very small thing, but we're kind of in this age of technology where every single time class is done, kids immediately with their phones out and they're texting and, and making phone calls and stuff in the hallway. So, you know, kids recognize when, when you take the time um, out of your day to do something like that. Um, so I like to do that. And then the other thing that comes to mind really is um, – in the classroom when one of those when when a kid who maybe is not always as apt to talk or to speak up and answer um whenever they do i really do like to try to make an effort to to recognize that and say hey johnny you know good answer um and and i you know i recognize you know that you're putting yourself out there and not not making it awkward or anything but just like making sure a kid knows like hey you know, I see, I see what they're trying to do. Um, and just let them know, Hey, I don't even care if the answer is wrong. If you're willing to speak up and, and, uh, and, and try to contribute to what's going on in class, like I'm going to recognize that and um, affirm you in that. And, uh, just letting kids know that it's okay to fail, um, and making them feel comfortable when they do. And I really think that goes a long ways to just, um, building up their, their confidence and their self-esteem, um, in, in all aspects. You know, um, I remember a couple of years ago when we instituted a new policy where students couldn't have their phone uh, when they were in the refectory. 
And, you know, of course, as, as typical young people is, oh, you're punishing us. Why can't we have our phone? What difference does it make? But it just goes back to the importance of looking at someone, having a conversation, um, just like with you saying hello. And I can recall when I've been walking in the halls and I'll say hello to a student and they kind of look at me like, why does she even know my name? And then same place the next day and I say hello again and now they say hello back. And you know, just, just being able to do that. I, I'm not in the classroom every day like you are, but it is so important. Um, and who would have ever thought that something so simple as, as a hello, but to make sure that the students do know that they're recognized and they're seen, um, whether we teach them or not, that, that we, we realize that they're here. And so I, I think that's so important. And it, in a world of social media, um, it helps all of us to, you know, take that phone out of our hand a little bit. And it was amazing how by the end of, I'd say probably second quarter last year when we had that, that plan in place, you kind of just didn't hear about the complaints anymore. I don't know, parents, they might've gone home and complained to you, but you know, um, it, it, that's just what it was. Once you understand, we, we want you to talk to each other. I want to be able to talk to you. So I'm so glad that you do that and, and that everyone here does. Um, we have one question. We are, we are done with the questions we had prepared for you tonight, but this is a very good question. And I have a feeling um, they're asking this because they want to be able to use it perhaps um, with their own kiddos. But we have a question that says, what time do you take electronics away? Sarah, I think you had mentioned that. Uh, great question. Uh, so we we take away the electronics um, right at lockup um, here in the dorms uh, study halls from seven to nine p.m. and nine to ten is their free period, so they will play video games <laughs> at that time. But at ten o'clock, we collect them. Um, I'm actually in the office where they um, drop off their electronics. Um, and then I tell them I will unlock the door at 7 a.m. And there's always one boy who's literally on the couch at 6.55. I always have to be on time. One morning I was five minutes late. But at 7 o'clock I unlock it and then he gets it. And they get their sleep. So that's really what I'm, I'm more pleased about. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, um, I want to thank my panel again for taking time out of their evening um, to, to share with you how they uh, know your students and parents, especially for you, Kristen, shout out Hope Dinner um, that the kids made and your husband was okay. Um, and um, just to say that TMI is the community that we are because of parents like you, what you bring to our uh, everyday life with sharing your students, your most precious gift and making the community uh, be what we are. Um, there is no other school that has a community like we do. So I appreciate so much you um, allowing us to spend some time this evening with you. I will also give a shout out to our next parent education event. Some of you may have already seen the email that went out this morning um, in regards to our in-person Walker Innovation Center tour that we're going to have. That will be next week. It is limited due to um, uh, social distancing concerns. We want to continue to keep everybody safe. And so be sure to sign up for one of those two if you're interested in seeing um, more behind the scenes and, and really expanding out on what um, it will it will look like. Um, it's not just, we're not just going to show you the building. We're going to show you the different things surrounding the building. Um, so anyway, I will uh, sign off. Thank you again. I appreciate your time and we will look forward to the next time when we can be together. Have a good evening. Thanks, Tracy. Thanks, Sarah. Thanks, Roy. Thanks, Lise.